Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadee kap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing loving-kindness meditation and we're actually going to be doing a loving-kindness meditation session together. Before we do so, we're going to be discussing some of Gautama Buddha's teachings related to loving-kindness in speech. Because if you remember last week at this time, Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time, we were discussing the three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. And we also discussed right speech, specifically the five factors of well-spoken speech. And in that talk, the very last factor of well-spoken speech is speaking with a mind of loving kindness. Well, this is a perfect opportunity to introduce some more of Gautama Buddha's guidance on speaking with loving kindness and how we do that. Because in today's talk and in our session, we're going to be discussing loving kindness and how to cultivate that in the mind. And what Gautama Buddha's teachings further do is help us to understand how to practice that in daily life through our actual speech. So I'm going to be helping you guys to understand that as we go. I would like to welcome everyone across the internet, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, listening on our podcast, in our virtual classroom on Zoom, or wherever you might be taking in this content today. So I would like to just welcome you. Thank you for joining. And I would like to spend some time to help you understand loving kindness and specifically loving kindness meditation as we progress in our session here today with all of us doing loving kindness meditation together. So as we get started, let's first discuss what is loving kindness. And I've also added compassion here as well. So what is loving kindness? Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This is essentially having a genuine wish for goodness for all beings, for peacefulness for all beings, for all beings to be well, to be safe, to be free of discontentedness, essentially a genuine wish for all beings to be enlightened, essentially. Because if we're eliminating discontentedness from the mind, which is sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, frustration, fears, boredom, loneliness, all of these discontent feelings that exist in the mind, through Gautama Buddha's teachings, we're actively training the mind to eliminate those. And we're also cultivating certain qualities. So these two qualities or mental states of loving kindness and then compassion come from the Brahma Viharas, which is part of 
chapter 13 in the book that we use in order to share the teachings, in the Brahma Viharas, we need to actively cultivate these mind states. And the first one is loving kindness or this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And this is where you have a genuine wish for others to be well. And we're going to discuss how to actually cultivate that in the mind through meditation. And we're even going to discuss how to practice this through our speech as well. I also would like to help you understand the definition of compassion because part of what we're going to be looking at in the Buddhist teachings today includes compassion. Compassion is a bit different than loving kindness, where loving kindness is this active goodwill, this genuine wish for others to be well. Compassion is a concern for the misfortune of others. And ensuring that you understand the difference between a worry and a concern is very important because a worried mind is discontent, but a concerned mind can still be content. If we have worry, if we have anxiety, if we have fear, this is going to be a discontent mind. So a worried mind will typically see the problem and it will be discontent. But a concerned mind can see the problem, but it can also see the solution to the problems. And this is what a concerned mind is, and they can actually maintain contentedness even though we have concern for others' well-being. So what compassion is, is concern for the misfortune of others, right? If you see somebody speaking hostile or aggressive, you know through the teachings that we share in Gautama Buddha teachings that we don't talk hostile or evil towards others. And when we see others doing that, rather than us being hostile back, we can just have concern for their misfortune because they haven't yet understood the teachings they may not even have access to the teachings. So we can turn that hostility around, kind of cut that off and practice loving kindness and compassion towards beings that have hostile talk or aggression towards us. And this is a way that you could probably help to eliminate some of the ill feelings that might arise as you interact with people who aren't maybe speaking so polite or respectfully. So this is how I define in the book, loving kindness and compassion. Let's move on to the next part, which is sharing with you one of Gautama Buddha's teachings on loving kindness and specifically as it relates to speech. If you remember from last week, we were discussing how the five factors of well-spoken speech are that we should speak at the right time. What we say should be spoken is true, that we speak gently, that what we say should be beneficial, and we should speak with a mind of loving kindness. Essentially, the Buddha went on to say we should speak blamelessly. And by speaking this way and finding the right word choices that we all select for each individual situation, what you'll realize is that you won't be causing harm to others. And by not causing harm to others, you will then realize that you can actually be more peaceful because 
by you not causing harm to others, there won't be harm that returns to you. You will have cleaned up your speech and all the situations that you're in and all the various relationships, whether that's personal or professional. I would like to share this teaching with you guys from Gautama Buddha about how he further went on to describe the five factors of well-spoken speech and how we should practice when others aren't using the five factors of well-spoken speech, right? Because it's really great that we improve our speech. And that was what last week's talk was about on Wednesday, is talking about right speech, which is part of the Eightfold Path, this path to enlightenment. Enlightenment being this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So in the five factors of well-spoken speech, the Buddha talks about us speaking at the right time, what we say is true, that we should speak gently, that whatever we say, we should speak in a beneficial way, and that we should speak with a mind of loving kindness. But here in this particular teaching that I've actually used two slides to cover, Gautama Buddha is going to be sharing with us what we should do when others aren't speaking that way. You know, he really gives us some great guidance here. And there's a couple of words that you may need to understand here as we move into talking because there's some interesting words that are used. This word imbued, this is kind of like permeate, right? So the title of this teaching is Training the Mind Imbued or Permeating with Loving Kindness without hostility, without ill will. And remember, one of the fetters, one of the things that we need to eliminate from the mind in order to get to enlightenment is ill will. So this is one of the reasons why cleaning up our speech and speaking with a mind of loving kindness is so important because it eliminates ill will. And we've even kind of summarized that in our various talks when we talk about craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality we've talked about how getting to enlightenment is to eliminate these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires and that second poison of hatred or anger or ill will it comes across in our intentions, our speech, and our actions. So really honing in on our speech, which moves into all communication nowadays, right? During the Buddhist time, there was no text messaging, email, Facebook posts, or comments, or things like this. So we can apply this to all of our communication, learning how to speak with loving kindness, but also how we should practice when others aren't practicing with the five factors of well-spoken speech. So here, the first part of this, the Buddha is saying, bhikkhus, and bhikkhus are his ordained practitioners because he's pretty much speaking to them in certain discourses. Of course, there was household practitioners as well, but he tended to address the bhikkhus and the people who wrote down his teachings were the ordained practitioners. So they kind of wrote it as if he was addressing it to them. So he says, Bhikkhus, there are these five courses of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true 
or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or with harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with inner hate. Herein bhikkhus, you should train thus, right? This is where he's telling them how you should train your mind. Our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no evil words. We shall abide compassionate, remember concern for others' misfortune, for their welfare, with a mind of loving kindness, without inner hate. We shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness, and starting with him, we shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. That is how you should train, Bikus. That will lead to your welfare and peacefulness for a long time. Okay? It's important to understand that while you're learning to practice Gautama Buddha's teachings, and while you may be working to practice right speech, which includes the five factors of well-spoken speech, there's going to be lots of people around you who aren't. And when you experience that, we still need to remain unaffected, right? That's training the mind to remain unaffected by other speech. We shall utter no evil words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare, right? When we see other people being hostile, disrespectful, unkind, impolite, we can still have compassion for their welfare. And we can still have a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. Just because others are hating us doesn't mean that we need to hate them. Okay, that's essentially what he's getting to here. And he doesn't only talk about this one person. He talks about encompassing the entire world. This is all beings. And this is the reason why I bring this up, because when we talk about how we're doing meditation, you can see how we start very narrowly with ourselves, and then we move to all beings, right? And I've shared other teachings from the Buddha where he talks about using loving-kindness meditation as a way to train the mind to eliminate hate, ill will, and anger. You know, it's one thing to try to work on eliminating it from the mind, but that also translates into our intentions, our speech, and our actions. So if somebody's being hostile to you, if all you can remember is, we shall utter no evil words, right? This is a very good teaching. This is what we were talking about with my grandmother last week when I said, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all in certain situations. And if that's what it takes for you to cut it off, even if inside you're brewing and you're steaming and you're hostile and you're angry, at least if you don't come out with your speech and your actions, you're not causing harm to others and you can work on that inner hate, that inner ill will, that inner hostility that is still there and that's still arising. But 
to cut this off so that you're not causing harm to others, which is only going to cause harm to you. If you can cut off the speech and the actions of not causing harm to others, then you can kind of quietly work on that inner hostility that's arising. And over time, as you do that more and more and more, you won't experience the arising of that inner hostility, that inner hate or that inner ill will. Okay, so let me just pause here and see if we have any questions on this short little teaching that I'm sharing from Gautama Buddha. Hi, David. We have no questions at this time. Okay, so let's move into the actual meditation then. Remember the goal of this practice, the easiest way to kind of encapsulate what we're doing in order to attain enlightenment is that we're working to eliminate craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality which involves realization of non-self and dissolving the ego right so craving is this outward seeking and searching this always wanting the mind to be pleased and satisfied this mental longing with a strong eagerness for fulfillment externally right i just want that new job and if i get that i'll be happy but then I get that and then you end up not being happy a few months later. Or if I could just get this new girlfriend or boyfriend or new pair of clothes or something that the mind is outwardly searching for. This is craving, always looking for something, wanting, expecting, desiring. This is attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And we have breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity as two antidotes to this poison of craving that the Buddha gives us in order to practice on an ongoing basis, breathing mindfulness meditation in multiple sessions throughout our day, weeks, and months, and then practicing generosity in daily life. This hatred or anger or ill will, this frustration, irritation, hostility that we have, annoyance that unenlightened beings have, the antidotes that Gautama Buddha gave us for this is loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in daily life. So we use loving kindness meditation to cultivate active goodwill in the mind and then practice this active goodwill without judgment in our daily life. And he's given us some suggestions here on our speech recognizing that other people aren't going to speak to us in the same way that we're training to speak to others. And when that happens, we need to not speak any evil words and maintain our loving kindness, even in the face of hostility from others or hatred from others, right? It doesn't help us, it doesn't help our mind to dive into hate just because somebody else has hatred, right? So this second poison of hatred or anger or ill will, this annoyance, hostility, this aggression that we have that really comes from kind of our animal existences, our previous animal existences that have kind of conditioned the mind with these three poisons. This hostility and anger comes from that. And we need to train it away from that animal consciousness and move it towards a human consciousness where it's eliminating this poison of anger or hatred or ill will. 
And we use loving kindness meditation and then practice that in daily life through our intentions, our speech, our actions, even our livelihoods in order to practice this active goodwill without judgment towards all beings. And then this third poison, which is delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality, the antidote to this poison or the way to uproot this unwholesome root or the way to extinguish this fire is to practice wisdom. Where wisdom comes from is the Buddhist teachings. By learning and practicing his teachings, you will see the wisdom in those teachings. And then through that wisdom, the mind will gradually progress and your practice, your daily life will become better and better through learning and practicing those teachings. Not believing the Buddha, not believing me, nothing in this practice is based on belief, but instead to learn and then implement the teachings in your daily life and through your practice of these teachings you are going to be gaining more and more wisdom because you're going to see how these good wholesome teachings work in your life to make the mind more peaceful calm serene and content with joy and you will experience more and more harmony in the world right so here with loving kindness meditation you can do this as a standalone meditation or what I typically suggest is that you first do breathing mindfulness meditation and then move into loving kindness meditation. So breathing mindfulness meditation is working to eliminate that first poison and then we're moving into loving kindness meditation which is what we'll do here today. What's important to understand with loving kindness meditation is that this is training your mind. This isn't training or sending out loving kindness to other people. You can't train other people to have loving kindness. You can't send them loving kindness and like a prayer. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is we're training our mind to have active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And by training our mind to have that towards ourself, then we start eliminating that negative self-talk that you might have. You kind of eliminate that. Any hostility you have for your friends, family, co-workers, anybody around you, you can work on eliminating that through this meditation for you. And you can eliminate this anger, hostility, or aggression, or hatred that you have towards other beings that you've never even met before. Maybe there's certain incidents that have happened in your past that certain types of people your mind just doesn't feel good around them and you're kind of judging others through certain physical traits or other things in your mind that's kind of inhibiting you from engaging with all beings in an open way so by training your mind to have active goodwill towards all beings and then practicing that in daily life what you'll notice is more and more people will treat you that way as well. You're not doing this, you're not training your mind because you're expecting other people to treat you this way. Because if you have expectation for others to treat you this way, then that's just going back to craving, wanting other people, expecting other people to be a certain way. 
this practice is all about training your mind. So what you'll notice is the more that you practice things like right intention, which is practicing harmlessness and non-ill will, practicing right speech, which is the five factors of well-spoken speech, by practicing right action and all the different teachings that the Buddha shares along with active goodwill towards all beings, loving kindness, what you'll notice is the more that you practice these good, wholesome teachings, the people around you will treat you that way as well, or you just might choose to not be around certain people that are hostile or aggressive. But you make those choices still with active goodwill towards them without judgment and still with compassion or concern for their misfortune. This all transpires because of the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of your decisions. By you choosing to practice active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, what you'll notice is other people will treat you that same way because what you put out will come back to you. And I'm not sure if those of you who have been in our Facebook group, but about six or 10 months ago, I decided to start calling people sir or ma'am. And the reason why is because here in Thailand, we speak that way and we use certain prefixes in order to speak respectfully to people with the Thai language. And at one time in the English language, we used to speak this way to others as well. You know, maybe 50, 70 years ago, we used to always speak this way with sir and ma'am, and more and more people would speak that way. Well, because of the natural law of gamma, six to 10 months ago, when I started speaking this way with everybody, now everybody is speaking that way with me. And again, I didn't start speaking that way because I was expecting others to use that with me, but I was just doing it out of kindness and out of politeness and out of respect for all beings. And not just people older than me, but also people younger than me as well. Just giving respect to all beings without judgment. So what you'll notice is as you clean up your practice, as you cultivate this loving kindness in the mind through meditation, and then you practice it in daily life, more and more over a longer and longer period of time, you will experience that there's more and more people around you who are practicing these same qualities. Because if we're angry and hostile, there are certain people that are going to choose not to be around us because of that. But when we start practicing these good, wholesome teachings, you'll notice that it'll kind of attract people of that similar type. And even if there's people in your life now that are kind of like a little bit hostile or, you know, maybe borderline, the more that you practice these good, wholesome teachings, you might notice that they will kind of slowly shift on their own or they will notice a shift in you and they will start asking you, what have you been doing? I've noticed the last six months you've really been polite and kind and you really haven't been upset or sad or you know, angry in any way whatsoever, what are you doing? And that's a great time to share with them the good, wholesome teachings that you've been learning. In this gamma, this natural law of cause and effect or action and result, you will see it start to become more and more clear based on you 
improving your practice and improving what you're doing in daily life. So I'd like to pause here for a moment, see if we have any questions before I actually describe the meditation that we're going to be doing. We have a question from Carol. Are short meditations multiple times a day as effective as one long meditation? You'll have to see for yourself what works best for you. You know, I've done it both ways. I prefer, you know, closer to 30 minutes and beyond in meditation. You know, if I get a 15 or 20 minutes, then that's good. But I try to get as close to 30. But again, you know that I don't time the meditations that I do. I just sit in meditation or do whatever meditation I'm doing, walking or lying or standing and just let it be whatever it is. I prefer kind of two dedicated sessions, morning and evening, right when I wake up and right before I go to bed. And if I can get one in the middle of the day, I do. There's actually some times where I may actually do five or six meditations a day if there's enough time. Or for example, if I'm teaching, oftentimes I might be teaching different classes at different places and I might be meditating five or six different times a day. So I think it's best to kind of not really necessarily focus on the amount of time because the benefits of meditation are accumulative, right? So if you did five five-minute meditation sessions in a day, which is 25 minutes, or you did one 25-minute meditation session, you may decide that you like one versus the other and you're seeing benefits in one versus the other. And today and for the next couple of months, you might choose to do the the one 25-minute meditation, but then something might change and you start realizing that you actually like the five five-minute sessions because of impermanence, right? So you have to kind of dabble with this and see what you feel is best because what works for me is going to be different than you. And if I answer this question now, I might answer it one way. And if you ask me this question six months from now, I might answer it another way. So you have to figure out what works best for you and experience it from your end and see how you can best get the most benefit out of your meditation. But because these meditation sessions are accumulative, in order for you to get to enlightenment, you're gonna to have to do a massive, massive, massive amount of meditation over the course of many years. And in order to do that, whether you do five five-minute sessions or you do one 25-minute session or what have you, what you should be looking for is the results, right? When you get to the end of your meditation, whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation or both combined. If you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation, when you're done, your mind should be peaceful, calm, serene, content, maybe joyful even a little bit, having developed more singleness of mind, kind of like singular focus, concentration. And if your five minute sessions five times a day are accomplishing that for you, okay, that's fine. And if you need the 25, 30, 45 minute hour, two hour sessions, then that's fine too. You have to throttle that as you feel best and, and kind of look at it from your own experience. 
with mindfulness, with awareness of mind, you should be able to see that. And then with loving kindness meditation, when you're done, you should feel an overwhelming goodwill towards all beings, yourself, others, and all beings. And that might wear off within five minutes if you're just starting out with developing a meditation practice. But when you're done, that's what the goal is. And it may not happen for you in the first session that you've ever experienced with loving kindness meditation. Some people, it does. The very first session, they can notice a difference. It may take you several weeks before you kind of notice the changes in the mind where you have this overwhelming, genuine interest for others to be well, this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. But what you should look for at the end of your meditation is the results in the mind. And that will help you with your mindfulness as well or your awareness of mind. So the timing part to me, it's almost irrelevant, even though it's a common question that comes up all the time, because you're going to have to do a mountain of meditation, a mountain in terms of time of meditation. But what you should be looking for is the results at the end of each session. And if you're getting these results with breathing mindfulness meditation, singleness of mind, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, with loving kindness meditation, where the mind has this overwhelming, genuine wish for others to be well, then you've accomplished some good things in that meditation and it's being helpful for you. Is there such a thing, David, as meditating too much? Sure, right? Because there's always the middle, right? The Buddha talked about being in the middle. If we didn't meditate at all, we know that that's not good for us because we're not actively training the mind, so nothing's going to change. Whereas if we meditated all the time or eight hours a day, 12 hours a day, then that's going to probably be too much where the mind becomes tired. It become, may even become attached to meditation itself. And maybe it has a craving and a longing to be in meditation for 12, 16, 24 hours a day. And in normal life, when it goes outside, it's not comfortable being around kind of normal average stimulus in a day. So you have to find this middle. And if you have a daily consistent practice of morning and evening, maybe in the middle of the day if you can, but then at certain times in your life, you might decide to go on a retreat for five days or 10 days or however many days where you are meditating for six, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. And that's just during that particular period. But then when you come back to your daily life, you still got this morning and evening kind of anchored on either side of your day and maybe a middle of the day session. So you have to kind of throttle up and throttle down and knowing that you can actually get to fatigue of the mind. And if you're noticing that the mind becomes fatigued where you're meditating too much, you might want to back off for a bit, kind of let that go for a week or two and then kind of re-engage. This is where you know, we think of our meditation practices, it should be this linear path going up. And that's how enlightenment should be. It's just this linear path of nothing but progress. But in reality, it's kind of like this rocky road of going up and down. And it's not this linear path going up. So if you're meditating a lot, getting a lot of benefit, you notice the mind's getting kind of fatigued, then kind of slack off a bit and kind of just put all the other teachings into practice, 
right intention, right speech, right action, and then kind of, you know, move back up with the meditation. Because remember, what we're developing is our life practice is the Eightfold Path. It's the entire Eightfold Path that is going to lead to enlightenment. Meditation is just one step. It's right concentration. It's the eighth step. And this is where a lot of people spend a lot of their time focused on right concentration, right? The meditation aspect. But that's like starting at the finish line, which is right concentration. What we need to do is we need to realize that that's like 12 or 15% of the path. While it encompasses a lot of time in terms of meditating in a given day, in terms of the actual path, we need to make sure we're focusing on right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and understanding what each one of those are and implementing them into your life more and more and more and more and really refining and fine-tuning them. If anybody is familiar with what an equalizer is like, in the old days, we used to have these equalizers. Now they probably have it electronically where you're trying to equalize the sound and you're trying to kind of bring a really fine-tuned sound that just sounds so beautiful, right? Well, what you're doing with the mind is you're trying to bring the mind to the middle so that it performs optimally. And you've got these dials, this equalizer, and you've got these eight dials of the Eightfold Path of right view and right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And you may decide to focus a lot on this right concentration, but if that's all you ever spent your time on, you wouldn't actually ever attain enlightenment because you can't actually meditate your way to enlightenment. You have to actually work with all these other equalizers, these other dials as well. Just like if you were trying to create a really beautiful sound, if you only ever turned one dial, you're not going to get a beautiful sound coming out of the speakers. You need to actually tweak all these other dials. So we need to focus on meditation, but yeah, it can get too much. The mind can get fatigued. And when it does, you can always bring that down to kind of more of an even keel and then focus on some of these other dials, really dialing in your right view, right intention, right speech, right action, and all the rest, because they're just as important as these others. And they're all so important to really fine tune as you work through developing your life practice. Here we have a follow up from Carol. She says, thank you. We'll play with that. And we'll also try some more walking meditation because sitting for long periods just isn't working at the moment. Yeah, Carol and I talked this week in a private discussion, and I'm sure she doesn't mind me talking about this because I've experienced this in the past too, is sometimes our mind becomes very energetic and too active and sitting in meditation, you know, the mind just doesn't want to, you know, the last thing you want to think about is sitting down in meditation because there's too many active thoughts. And this is where I usually suggest to people to either do standing meditation or more importantly, walking meditation. Because what I noticed is when I do walking meditation, I used to use this a lot in the past to kind of unwind the active thoughts. And sometimes I would just do walking meditation for the entire session. Or other times 
I might do, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of walking meditation, and then the mind was ready to sit and actually do seated meditation. Or sometimes I would start off doing seated meditation, five minutes, 10 minutes, I just felt like I was hitting a brick wall with the seated meditation and I just couldn't get the mind focused on the breath and I realized there was too many active thoughts and I would just do walking meditation and unwind the thoughts and either stop there or move into seated meditation again. It's important to understand is this practice, this life practice that you're developing, it's not like a recipe where we can say, add two tablespoons of this, add a little pinch of that, and two cups of this, and you're gonna get to enlightenment. So oftentimes when the question about how long should I meditate, or what positions I should meditate, or should I do breathing mindfulness first and then loving kindness second? Well, I can tell you that I've done all of these things multiple times, right? I've done just breathing mindfulness meditation, just loving kindness meditation. I've done breathing in loving kindness meditation together. I've done just seated, just lying, just standing, just walking. I've done combinations of these. I've interchanged them all different which ways. I've done one or two minute meditations. I've done you know, 45 minute, an hour meditations. I've done 20, 30 minute meditations. And by doing it all these different various ways, you will start seeing what's working in various situations, right? The Buddha is essentially like a doctor. He sees the problems in the mind. He sees the symptoms of the mind. And he's giving you these medicines, so to speak, of what's going to remedy these symptoms in the mind, these problems in the mind. But the doctor is only as good as the patient. The patient has to actually do the work and actually practice and see what situations it actually works. It's not like a doctor says, take three tablets a day and do that for 10 days and your illness is gone. The Buddha isn't giving that type of prescription. He's kind of giving you this broad general guidance and then you need to go out on an independent basis and dabble and try these different things in different scenarios so that you can see what's working in different situations. So if your mind's active or too busy, try walking meditation, see how that works and try it two, three, four, five times for a couple of weeks. And if it works for you, great. You just got more wisdom. So now you're eliminating some of that ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality. And if that doesn't work, then try standing. And maybe now standing works for you. And that's wisdom for you. And then maybe now standing meditation works for you for three months or six months. But because of impermanence and everything's always changing, you might actually have to go back to walking meditation at some point. So you got to keep this life practice very fluid, right? The mind's going to want to lock in because of the craving, because the mind craves permanence and it's not yet enlightened. The mind's going to want to lock in. Okay, teacher, just tell me what to do every day, what time, how long, how many breaths, how many counts. The mind's going to want this fixated guidance and what the Buddha is sharing and what I'm sharing is it doesn't work that way. 
because everything's impermanent. If Buddha gave you a strict prescription, it's not going to work for every single person. And it's not going to work for you every single day. So you've got to dabble with all of this stuff and try it in lots of different scenarios so that you essentially become your own doctor, right? The Buddha is kind of like the master doctor, but you become your own doctor through experience and dabbling with these different prescriptions, these different antidotes, these different practices. And by you dabbling in the lab, so to speak, you're going to see what's working and what's most beneficial. And then you'll be able to apply these things at different times. And there, if you get to a, a situation where you don't know what to try next, that's when you reach out to your teacher and you say, okay, teacher, I tried this, this, and this. For some reason, the last three weeks, I still haven't seen any progress. And just thinking, you know, what should I do next? And then can give you some advice on that. So be your own doctor and don't believe any of this stuff and just practice and dabble. That's great. Thanks, David. We have no more questions at this time. Okay. So what we're going to do with our meditation session today is we're going to start out with breathing mindfulness meditation. And before we do that, we're going to do chanting, right? So if you've learned chanting in any of these sessions with me before, you can do that. Essentially, what the chanting does is it eases our mind into meditation, starts helping us become aware of the breath and aware of the mind. And if you haven't learned this yet, next Wednesday, I'll do a session on chanting where I'm going to be teaching chanting so you can actually learn it. And it's in chapter 11 of the book. So you can look in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And in chapter 11, you'll see it in there. But I'll actually teach it as part of our class next week. Or you can look at some of the previous podcasts or videos that I've done as well. So if you've learned chanting previously, you're welcome to chant along with me to kind of ease the mind into meditation, become aware of the breath and aware of the mind. Then once we get into meditation, we're going to start out with breathing mindfulness meditation, where I'm going to give you some guidance to just focus on the breath so that we can start kind of building this singleness of mind and kind of eliminating thoughts of the past or thoughts of the future and just bring the mind to the middle where it has singleness of mind. And we'll do that for some period of time. And then after breathing mindfulness meditation, we're going to then go into loving kindness meditation, which is to cultivate this active goodwill in the mind. And the first meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating craving, we're eliminating thoughts, we're bringing the mind to the breath, right? So we're eliminating this unwholesome quality of craving. But in loving kindness meditation, we are cultivating this wholesome quality of loving kindness or active goodwill in the mind. And we're doing this through meditation, which is an active, dedicated, independent, purposeful training session of the mind, right? That's what meditation is. Walking the dog is walking the dog. Washing the dishes is washing the dishes. Gardening is gardening. But we're doing meditation, which is an active training session of the mind where we're doing active, dedicated, 
independent, purposeful training to either eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. And here, the way that we're going to eventually cultivate this loving kindness is we're going to use affirmations. I'm going to be saying them out loud. And when I say them out loud, you will repeat them in the mind. Okay? And you repeat them in the mind on the out breath. So when you hear me say, may I be peaceful, on your next out breath, wherever you get to that, you will just repeat in the mind, may I be peaceful. And then when you hear me say, may I be safe, when you get to your next out breath, wherever that is, repeat in the mind, may I be safe. And then I will say, may I be well. Again, on your next out breath, repeat that. And then the last statement I will say is, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And then on your next out breath, you repeat that. Okay? So we're always starting with ourself. Now, if I was doing this on my own and I wasn't guiding you guys, you wouldn't know that I was actually doing this because I just do it quietly. So you don't actually say this out loud, although you're going to hear me say it out loud. You will say it in the mind and cultivate this in the mind. And some people even like to use visualizations. When you say, may I be peaceful, if you kind of visualize peacefulness coming over the mind and the body, right? I used to kind of visualize like a syrup or like a honey kind of all over the body. And then when you hear me say, may I be safe, same thing, like safety all over the mind and the body, or may I be well, may I be free of discontentedness. We always start with ourself first, because how could we have active goodwill towards others if we don't have it for ourselves first? We have to work on ourselves first. This mind, right? So we're saying, may I right? This really helps to eliminate negative self-talk for yourself and any resentment or ill will that you have towards yourself. Because oftentimes we harbor those things for ourselves. So we need to use this affirmation and meditation to release that, right? Over multiple sessions. From there, you can make rings, expanding rings wider and wider and wider. Here, I just put three simple rings of may I be peaceful, may we be peaceful, and may all beings be peaceful, right? But in reality, what I will typically do is I'll make rings that are a little bit smaller than that. So I'll start maybe with I, I'll go to we, meaning all of us, and then I'll kind of create some other rings beyond that. And then eventually I'll get to a last ring, which is all encompassing, essentially all beings, right? All humans, all animals, even aliens. If you want to put aliens in there, you know, all beings of the all five realms, right? The hell realm, the afflicted spirits, animal realm, human realm, heavenly realm, you know, any beings anywhere. And once again, let me just share that we're not sending these beings loving kindness with the expectation 
or anticipation that they are going to treat us with loving kindness, right? We can't change them through our meditation. We can only change ourselves through our meditation. But by changing ourselves and now cultivating this active goodwill in the mind, when we go outside, we start treating people with more active goodwill than we had previously. And by doing this over multiple, multiple sessions, you will start seeing that the condition of your mind improves and then your interactions with the people around you will improve. And by you improving your interactions with them, they will slowly improve their interactions with you. So this is what we're going to do. And then after I do these various rings, I will finish up with a final chant at the end and open back up for questions to see what questions you guys might have as a result of your meditation. Any questions on the meditation? We have no questions this time. Okay. So if you guys would like to go ahead and get into meditation position, for most of us, it's probably going to be either sitting in a chair or sitting in the floor. If you sit on the floor, you can put a cushion or some pillows under your rear to get your rear up and kind of lessen that angle at the hip. That'll allow the circulation to flow. Just cross your legs slightly so that you don't cut off the circulation. If you're sitting in a chair, just sit with your feet either flat on the floor or crossed. And if you have a backrest on your chair, don't lean back up against your backrest. Keep your muscles in the upper body engaged and active. This will maintain the alertness of the mind because what we're doing here is we're actively training the mind through this independent, dedicated, purposeful training session. So if we lean back in our chair, the muscles tend to relax and the mind kind of turns off. So by sitting up and not using the backrest, this will maintain your posture and it'll keep an active, alert, attentive mind. Now, if you feel pain in the body at any point in time, feel free to change positions. Move your hip or move your body in order to maintain comfort. But you don't want to be luxurious because if the body is luxurious, the mind will have a tendency to turn off. With your hands and your arms, there's lots of different options here. I will typically place my right hand over top of my left and my thumbs together, and then put those in my lap. This is how Gautama Buddha meditated. And if it's comfortable for you, you can use it. But if for some reason it's not comfortable, then you can use another option, like putting your palms on your lap or putting your palms on your knees. Or if you're sitting in a chair, putting your arms and hands on the armrest of a chair. Remember, this isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same way, because that's impossible because that would be permanent. And this is all impermanent, right? So you find what's comfortable for your lower body, your upper body, and your hands and your arms, okay? Just close your eyes and start to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. Just establish a nice natural breath, focusing the mind on the breath. Focusing the mind on the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of the air passing over the skin going into the nose. 
By focusing the mind on the breath, the breath is the present moment. This will train the mind gradually over time to only reside in the present moment. So you can either stay there and stay focused on the breath, and I'll be back with you with some guidance, or you're welcome to join in with the chanting. Arahang Samma Samhoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawanang Apiwatemi Savakato Mahakavata Tammo Tamang Namasami Supatipano Mahakavato Savaka Sangho Sanghang Namami Napmodhasabhakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasa Bhakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasa Bhakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Iti piso mahakawa arahang samasamoto uicacaranang samhono sakatoro kawitu Anu tero purisa tamasati sata tawa manusanang puto pakawati. You should be focused on the breath, taking nice natural breaths in through the nose and out through the nose. Don't try to force your breath or control it. Chase nice natural breaths. 
breathing in and out. Just establish your own breath, nice natural breath. It's not going to match my breath or anyone else's because it's impermanent. Breathing in and out. Focus on the sound of the breath coming in through the nose or the sensation of the air moving over the skin and into the nose. Breathing in and out. The breath is the present moment. When the mind is in the present moment, it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. As you sit in meditation, the mind may be interested to take you on a journey. The mind might try to pull you into the past, having past thoughts, painful thoughts, pleasant thoughts, thoughts that are neither painful nor pleasant. As you notice that, just cut those off. Let them go. Bring the mind to the breath. And the mind may want to take you on a journey into the future. There may be painful thoughts, pleasant thoughts, thoughts that are neither painful nor pleasant. And when you notice that, cut them off, let them go. Don't allow the mind to pull you in that direction. Bring the mind to the breath, the present moment. If you experience any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions during your meditation, during this breathing mindfulness meditation, just let them go. Cut them off and bring the mind to the breath. Singleness of mind. I'm going to leave you on your own now. And then later I'll be back with loving kindness meditation. You have nowhere to go, nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just observe how all the thoughts are impermanent. They're temporary. You can train the mind so that then you can control it by focusing only on the breath, the present moment.
continuing with your natural breath, breathing in and out. Keep the mind focused on the breath, but on the out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes.
May all those whom I've harmed with my speech, may they all be peaceful. May they all be safe. May they all be well. May they all be free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes. May all those who have harmed me with their speech, may they all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes.
May all beings, wherever they reside, may they all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes.
tamang namasami supatepano mahakavato savakasangko sanghang namami Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Napmodhasabhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Iti piso makawa Arahang Sammasambhuto Vichacharanang sammuno Sakato rukavitu Anutero purisa Dhammasati satatava manusanang Puto Bhagavati Okay, you guys can kind of slowly come out of meditation, opening the eyes, stretching around if you need to, taking in some nice breaths. So kind of picking things up where we were talking last session on Sunday about moving the mind from the animal to the human, as well as the questions that typically will come up about how long we should actually meditate for. Keep in mind that everyone's had countless animal births prior to this. And we talked on Sunday helping you see how that is the case. And the mind has been conditioned with this craving, this anger, this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, this self, this ego, right? And in order to eliminate this from the mind, this hostility, this anger, this hatred, which is what loving kindness meditation is addressing, it's going to take lots and lots and lots of meditation. 
it's not just one meditation and then instantly, you know, all hatred's gone or all ill will's gone. It's going to take a lot of time to kind of work on this. So you should be incorporating this into your practice. If you're currently doing breathing mindfulness meditation and you would like to add loving kindness in on an occasional session, maybe your morning session or maybe your evening session or maybe both sometimes, or you do it for a week or two and then you just do breathing mindfulness meditation and then for another week or two, you include loving kindness meditation. However you choose to do it, you should be incorporating it. If you're feeling any kind of annoyance or frustration or irritation or hostility towards anyone, anyone, including our parents, our friends, our family, anyone that's harmed us in the past, we need to train the mind to let go, right? Sometimes the mind holds on and has resentment or hostility for things that happened a really long time ago. This meditation, not only does it help you cultivate this active goodwill for other beings, but it will help you to eliminate this resentment that the mind tends to hold on to. And like I was mentioning, it also helps us to eliminate that negative self-talk that typically is in the mind for some of us, right? So what questions do you guys have so far or on anything that we've discussed today or any of our previous sessions? I have a question, David, about meditation posture. So in the seated position, do you find it's better to sort of tilt the hips a little bit? Because I find this maybe improves the position of the upper back, mm-hmm. but it actually feels like a tense position. So I'm not sure if that really is finding the middle way here. Um, but alternatively, if we just completely relax the hips, I find it might slump a little bit and then that can actually hurt the upper back. So what would count as the middle there? Yeah, if you kind of like envision like a string all the way down your spine and up through the top of your head and what you want to do is kind of lift that string right and kind of keep your muscles erect in the body but not really really rigid you want to keep them erect and active you don't want to be slouched you don't want to be real active so if your hips need to be tilted a certain way for you to feel comfortable find out where that is and then just Go with that. And that's going to change over time, you know, because of impermanence, you know. Thank you. Yeah, I find that when I'm seated, if I get a nice amount of cushions underneath me, then just a a little bit of a tilt seems to be better than no tilt. But I'm still sort of working to, it's always changing, you know. Sometimes it's, sit for 45 minutes like that and it's just fine. Other times I need to adjust something. Yeah, as our body Sorry. changes, you know, as we get older and uh, as our body changes, you'll notice that your positioning will need to change slightly here and there. Or if you've had an accident or some kind of injury, you know, you're going to have to change. And that's why we've got these four different positions to work in. So that's why I always teach if you ever feel any discomfort in the physical body, the mind's experiencing pain, change the position of the physical body. Because if we're trying to cultivate this active goodwill for ourselves and other beings, and all we feel is pain, 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 you know, it's going to be very hard to cultivate that in the mind. Or if we're trying to eliminate this craving, you know, with breathing mindfulness meditation, we're trying to bring the thoughts to the breath, to the present moment, and all we feel is pain, 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 pain. 
it's not going to work to eliminate this craving and cultivate this act of goodwill, this loving kindness. So wherever you're feeling discomfort, you know, start out your meditation in a certain position. But if any point of your session you're feeling uncomfortable, shift that, right? Sometimes when people first learn meditation, they think it's about kind of striking a pose and then just staying with that the whole time and pushing through the pain. And I disagree with that because it's going to take you away from training the mind. And so put the body wherever you feel most comfortable, but not luxurious because the mind will have a tendency to turn off. Got it. Yeah. Thanks, David. Okay. We have a question from Ian Chan. Sir, what are the benefits of walking meditation? Thanks. I find that walking meditation is very, very good to eliminate active thoughts. If there's lots and lots of thought, like bombardment of thoughts, a real active energetic mind where it doesn't want to be stable in one spot, I feel like walking meditation really helps with that. I also noticed that walking meditation really helped me to root the mind in the present moment even more so than some of the other positions. And that was just for me, because when I do walking meditation, I just fixate the mind with the eyes, looking with the eyes about one or two meters in front of me and just staring at the ground. So anything that's three, four, five, six, ten 10 meters in front of me, I don't even see it. I'm only fixating on one or two meters in front of me. And anything one meter to the side this way, one meter to the side this way, I don't see any of that. I just fixate the mind on that one spot, one to two meters in front of me. And then when I pass through that spot, anything behind me, I'm not paying attention to. The mind is just solely fixated one to two meters in front of me. And by doing that for 20, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, just continuous, 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 it really helps to root the mind in the present moment. You know, with seated, lying, and standing, you're working with the breath. And that's great. You can work with the breath. But with walking meditation, not only are you working with the breath, but you're working with the eyes too. And the mind is really fixated on that fixed spot. And I noticed that that really helped me. So eliminating the active, busy mind, as well as rooting the mind in the present moment. We have a question from Tio. So... Tio is interested in becoming a professional dancer. Tio's question is whether dancing for seven hours a day could be an obstacle to his life practice. This is where you need to find the middle, Tio. You need to find your middle because if you're dancing seven hours a day, I don't see why that would necessarily impede you from doing meditation in the morning, in the evening, from studying and learning the Buddhist teachings, you should still be able to do that because a lot of people work, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, and we still need to find time for learning and practicing these teachings. This is one of the challenges of living in a household life is that we tend to have active things. We have active relationships. We have jobs. We have activities. If we're retired, then we have a lot more time and available time to us. But in a younger person, I know Tio's you know, only 18 years old, and you've got your entire life to work on developing this practice. So you can still pursue other goals besides just developing your life practice because 
while you're dancing and while you're intermingling with your classmates, you're still practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action, all the way through the whole Eightfold Path, right? So sometimes we think that practicing the Buddhist teachings are only meditation, but you're actually practicing and should be practicing 24 hours a day. And as you learn, you can then implement the teachings in everyday life. So there's nothing about a seven hour a day dance schedule that would inhibit you from practicing the teachings of the Buddha. Thank you, David. We have a question from Manal. She says, I could benefit from a Sangha that meets either in person or virtually specifically to meditate together and solely to cultivate the practice. I find myself demotivated meditating by myself at the time being. In addition to these virtual discourses, do you have such a framework? You can reach out to various temples around the world. I think Manal is in New Jersey, if I remember correctly, somewhere on the east coast of the U.S. And there's Thai temples that you can look online and reach out to communities in your local area. Look for Theravada Buddhist temple or Thai temple. And you can usually go on the weekends on Saturday and Sundays is when they usually have most of their uh, gatherings. Some temples will have weekday meditation trainings, kind of like what we're doing here on Wednesday. So you can connect to some local people and do group meditations. And that can be really helpful for you, like you say, to kind of invigorate your practice. But keep in mind, 80 to 90% of your meditation is going to be alone and by yourself, and it should be alone. But that 10 or 20% of the time, if you would like to go out and meditate with other people, then that can be really encouraging and supportive and invigorating for your practice. And you can just look online. There's a lot of communities around the world, all throughout the world. Thai people have temples pretty much in every country that I know of so far. I'm surprised how far and wide Thai people have really spread the teachings through opening temples. And they only open temples if there's people in that local area that are asking for the temples to be created because the local household practitioners are the ones who are supporting and funding the temple. Sometimes they'll just start off in just a house or in somebody's room of a house and then it'll grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So depending on where you live in the world, you should be able to find a local Thai temple that you can join into and be part of the community and get some support. We have a comment from Jichendra on Zoom. I cannot do Vipassana, the doctor advised me not to. And I would also ask David, how is what we're doing different from Vipassana? Maybe we can clarify that also. I'm curious why a doctor would say you shouldn't do Vipassana meditation. If you could add that in, because that's really interesting that a doctor would say that. I actually have never studied Vipassana meditation, so I don't know what they teach in their retreats. I know that usually from what I've talked to other people who have joined these retreats, I think the first two or three days they usually focus on something similar to breathing mindfulness meditation. And then afterwards, after a few days, they go into what they call body scanning, I think. And I'm not doing that type of meditation, just breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. These are the only two 
that are really required in order to reach to enlightenment that the Buddha talks about. There are some other meditations that he shares, but those aren't required. They're kind of specialized meditations in unique situations. But there's really no medical reason that I could ever think of of why somebody shouldn't do meditation. And if a doctor is sharing that with you, you should probably get some other opinions. If that opinion is persuading you not to do meditation, then I would suggest you get some other opinions because there's really nothing that would preclude anyone from doing meditation. No medical condition whatsoever. Because all you're doing in meditation is you're just breathing in through the nose and out through the nose and you're training the mind. Jitendra has followed up and said, I want to be like a Buddha. So a Buddha is someone who is self-awakened, someone who's attained enlightenment on their own without the help of any teachers. And then once they awaken, they know the path very clearly because they've attained enlightenment on their own. They weren't influenced by other people. Their mind wasn't conditioned by other people. They just discovered the path on their own, awakened the mind by themselves, so they clearly see the path 100%. So they've awakened the mind to enlightenment on their own. And then once they awaken, they declare teachings. They say, okay, here's the teachings that led to my awakening. And then they share those teachings with other people and they help countless other people attain enlightenment through those self-discovered teachings. Those self-discovered teachings awaken more and more and more people. And then when a Buddha dies, countless more people after their death will become awakened and attain enlightenment. That's what a Buddha is. The last Buddha currently known to the world existed over 2,500 years ago. So every other person that exists today is going to need teachers and guides. You can become enlightened. You can become an enlightened person, but you won't be a Buddha because you're going to need teachers and guides. You're not going to declare teachings. You're not going to lead countless other people during your life to awakening. And once you die, they're not going to awaken because you haven't declared any teachings. So that's why we respect Gautama Buddha as the Buddha. And you can attain enlightenment, but you won't be a Buddha. That's the difference between a Buddha and an enlightened person. So San on Zoom asks, when we run into an accident, how can we start to practice meditation? I suppose also for me, how can we use meditation to help us through difficult situations? Well, meditation should be a daily, consistent, dedicated practice. It's not going to be kind of an ad hoc thing that you only do when you have an accident or some traumatic event that happens to you. It should be a daily, dedicated, committed, consistent practice. And if you do it on a daily, consistent basis, it's like continuing to water your plants every single day. If you water your plants, they're going to continue to grow and grow and grow and they're going to bear fruit. Whereas if you stopped watering the plants, they're not going to look so healthy and they're not going to bear fruit. So if you are interested in training the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, this enlightened mind where the mind becomes very focused, concentrated, clarity of thoughts, where you improve the memory, then you're going to need to have dedicated, consistent meditation not just during an accident. And if you do this, 
with breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, along with practicing all the other teachings, you will see the mind gradually improve. The condition of the mind will gradually improve. This is why Gautama Buddha's teachings, they're not based on belief. He's not asking you to believe something and then you find out whether that's true or not once you die. He's actually telling you what's wrong with the mind right now. And then he's giving you the remedies of how to resolve it and fix the mind right now. And if you go and do those things, you will see the mind improve right now. You will see it gradually improve over time. And that's how you know that his teachings are truth because you see the condition of the mind gradually improving. So you need to develop a life practice and be consistent and dedicated with it. Learning the teachings and practicing the teachings. If you download this book, which is in the comment section, it's linked pretty much everywhere, whether it's our website, our Facebook group, our podcast, our YouTube videos, this book is linked and you can download it and that will have the teachings to help you start to learn and practice to gradually awaken the mind. Thanks, David. We have any more questions. Okay. So I hope you guys have enjoyed our time together and learning loving kindness meditation and also relating that to our speech. Remember that when we speak, we need to always be speaking with this active goodwill towards all beings. We need to have this genuine interest in others being peaceful and being well, being safe, being free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So by us speaking with a mind of loving kindness where we're not interested in causing any harm, then our word choices will be much more gentle, will be much more beneficial. We'll practice those five factors of well-spoken speech, which is speaking at the right time, what we say is true, we speak gentle, we speak in a beneficial way, with a mind of loving kindness without blaming others. And the more that you speak in this way, you won't cause harm to others. And by not causing harm to others, no harm will come to you. Your mind will be protected by the teachings because you will be actively practicing these teachings. On Sunday at nine o'clock Thai time, we'll have our next session. We'll be talking about chapter 21, which is do no harm. And we'll be talking about how these three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality have affected the health of our planet. And by improving the condition of our mind through these teachings, not only do our personal and professional relationships improve, but also humanity as a whole gradually improves through improving the decisions that we're making in our daily life in society. So I wish you guys all the best. Have a really great rest of your day. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. May you be well. May you be free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes. Take care. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember, 
to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.